Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Okay, buckle your seat belts, put your tray tables in the up-lock position, stow your luggage, and let's get ready for takeoff. I want to talk about generosity from Proverbs. I'm interrupting our series on commitment, but this is important, and because of Chris Durso last week mentioning the kingdom and generosity, I'm going to the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. You ought to read one a week or one a day, and they're really helpful on doing business, relationships, marriage, health, money, co-signing for somebody. It covers everything, and that's really a book that's smart. And God gave Solomon more wisdom than anybody on earth, and he wrote the Proverbs. I'm telling you, a lot of guys making a million dollars a year in motivational speaking, although they aren't Christian, use Proverbs, but don't give God any credit. And I thought, how come Christians don't use it and believe what God said? It's about how to do life and to do it well with wisdom. Now, I'm a spirit-filled believer, but I'm going to tell you the most important gift you could have, wisdom. I heard one guy say the other day, I'm sorry for being smart mouth, but I couldn't resist. Well, everything happens for a reason. And I said, yeah, you make stupid decisions. That's why. That's the reason. And many times that is the reason. God didn't have anything to do with it. So let's get some wisdom today about generosity. Proverbs 11, verse 25. A generous man will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Another translation says, a generous man will prosper, but he who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. You know, at this time in our culture, in our present day, you have to lean in to generosity. People don't talk about it much, don't share it much, and you aren't born generous. You have to learn generosity. So we've got to lean in on clear Scripture that teaches us God wants to bless me. Scripture says, not somebody, not a Democrat or Republican, God Almighty says he delights in the prosperity of his servant. Holy cow, God's happy. How many of you parents are happy if your kids do well? Well, thank God. You think God's happy if you stumbling, bumping along? Well, I'm just hanging in there. I think hanging in there is way low on God's totem pole. I don't think I see any scripture on hanging in there, just bumping along, get by. God wants you to thrive. I've come to give you life in abundantly, and I've given you some principles, and if you'll just do them, Sparky, you'll be amazed at how your life can change. We live in a generation today that's gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. Take, 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 my name is Jake. See, our culture today says, that's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? Selfish. So let's begin by talking about generosity. You know, there are several things I'd like to be remembered for, especially by my family and a few close friends. I'd like them to be able to say at least he was a generous man. He was a generous person. Not he was successful, powerful, big, rich. I'd like to say 
He's a generous man, always generous with us, the kids, or with my spouse, or with my friends. Generous. I don't want to be stinking stingy, thinking that way. And it's not based on how much money you make. It's an attitude of doing life. I think in today's world, it's a word we ought to rediscover. If you're going to be a long-haul generous person, you will be it deliberately and intentionally. You will never drift into generosity. Another principle is you give out of your strength, but you never give away your strength. Somebody says, well, why didn't the church just sell all of its building and property and give it to the poor? Well, that'd be great for one day, but the poor will be here tomorrow. Then you'll have nothing to give them tomorrow. So you don't give away your strength, you give out of your strength. Simon Wheel said, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Giving somebody the time of day, a little attention. So let's all make sure that we are interruptible. Let's not be so preoccupied with our life and our career that we walk right past the people God called us to stop and talk to. If you study the miracles of Jesus, you'll discover the majority of them were a result of a direct or indirect interruption. Jesus was walking, all of a sudden he said, who touched me? And he stopped and healed a woman with an issue of blood. Blind Bartimaeus heard Jesus was passing by. He just shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, what do you want? He said that I might see. Bang, Jesus touched him. Interruption. Zacchaeus, uh, an extortioner, a bad guy, climbed a tree because he's short. He wanted to see the guy he had heard all about, Jesus. And he climbed up a sycamore tree to get a good, a good view of the entourage coming by. And no, Jesus just stopped at the tree, wasn't on the schedule, and said, Zach, get down here. I'm going to your house for dinner. We're going to have prime rib. We ain't going to have Whataburger. I don't know what he said, okay. Sometimes generosity is just giving somebody attention. And who knows that you just might be unexpectedly part of a miracle just by being occasionally interruptible. Now, the difference between prosperity and greed is generosity. How do I know if I'm prospering or just greedy? The difference is generosity. And by the way, you can be brokered in the Ten Commandments and be greedy. Quit thinking rich people are greedy. It's part of the human fallen nature. Everybody has a piece of it. If you make it all about you and everybody owes you and God owes you and the church owes you and life owes you and the government owes you and your boss owes you, you should give me a discount because you're a Christian and I'm a Christian. Nope. The difference between prosperity and greed is generosity. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, we make a living by what we get, but we build a life by what we give. And nobody's ever remembered for what they got. They're remembered for what they gave. Jesus told us when you're invited to a banquet or a party or an event, don't try to take the most prominent seat. Better you take a lower seat and have the host bring you forward than take a prominent seat and have the host ask you to move down. Jesus said, stop trying to be the most prominent. Whoever wants to be first should be last. However, there are some things, believer, we should aspire to be first at. 
How about first to smile? That breaks some of your face. Be the first to smile. Be the first to forgive. That'd make the world a better place. Be the first to give. Be the first to be kind, to take the high road, not easily offended. My, let me pause a minute. My daughter, my younger daughter, took in an orphaned cat. And she said, Dad, is that being generous? <laughs> I said, no, it's being compassionate, but it's close. She was trying, bless her heart. I said, we're talking about people, not animals. But she, she was trying to get the point since she took this little, what's the name of that cat? I don't know. She goes everywhere and brings that dumb cat. I, yeah. all he do, Daisy, all Daisy does is scratch me. I'm trying to be nice. Right. How about the first not to be easily offended? The first to not rush to judgment. That's being generous. I mean, you get on social media, somebody makes an accusation, everybody just takes it like that's true. Proverbs, a book of wisdom says, hey, the first to talk to you to plead his case seems just until another comes and gives you more facts. Parents, be careful when your kids come to even grown and they give you a story because they're going to slant it in their favor. They're not going to tell you what's negative about what happened on their part. So you wait. You don't make a judgment until you hear both cases. Our court of law is based on that, right? Don't rush to judgment. Be the first to be generous. So how can we be generous? Because God Almighty promised a generous man will prosper. By the way, that is a promise, and that is not based on what president's in the administration, whether inflation is up or down, what family you came from, what race you're a part of. He said the generous man, anywhere, anytime, anybody, will prosper and himself be refreshed. So how can we be generous? I heard somebody, you know, about a month ago when that big lottery was going, who said, boy, if I win that $1.3 billion lottery, I'll be generous and give. And I thought to myself, baloney. You're not giving now. You'll never give a dime if we win the lottery. We'll never see you again. Why, why would I say such a thing? Jesus said, not a Republican or Democrat or somebody you like or don't like. Jesus, the Son of God, said, if you can't be faithful in a small thing, you will never be faithful over much. Now, you put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's from the Son of God, not a preacher. That's from Jesus himself. If you cannot be generous with a little bit, you won't be generous with a, a bunch. Too many Christians live on someday I'll. Someday I'll be generous. Someday I'll start giving. Someday I'll take care of my health. Someday I'll deal with this addiction. Someday's not a day of the week. You've got to be faithful with what God has given you now, whether it's little or whether it's much then you can expect increase. So everybody can raise the standard of your life. It's not based on who your mom and dad were. It's not based on your past ancestry. It's based on obedience to what God said. Where does promotion come from anyway? Not the north or south. God says Psalm 75. It comes from the Lord. And he can promote you if you're on the backside of a desert. He's done that in Scripture many times. He knows where you are. If he knows every hair on your head is numbered, dude, he knows where you are. 
He can come get you. He can promote you. He can get resources to you. Think bigger. Man, we have a bunch of pygmy thinkers. It's just irritating. You get some of God's word in you and start believing that and start saying that, and you watch your life change. So how can I be generous? A couple of thoughts. Number one, if you're not a generous person, you don't give. How about start with this? Divert one expense, Netflix or some subscription. Start giving that. <coughs> Maybe one less Starbucks a week or something where you can give something to learn to be generous. But you start somewhere. Secondly, spend more time with generous people. You become like those you associate with. My association years ago with Casey Treat, those early days, showed me a lifestyle of incredible generosity. It had enormous impact on my life. No matter what we, Casey, I'll get that. I'll pay that. You, I'm shopping. We go shopping together, get something. He says, no, I got that. I already took care of it. What? Just generous about everything. When I had a 70th birthday a long time ago, there was a sports car right up here. I don't know if some of you remember that. And it was Casey who initiated for my 70th birthday. I, I, I came to this city in a sports car. No church, nobody doing anything. No tithes and offerings. No preacher stealing the money. I had my own car. And then I'd always wanted another one one day, someday. And Casey had the preachers around the country pay for it. And they put a sports car right there. You remember that? I remember that. And then I'm showing you his generosity. He raised that money with these different preachers, not a dime from the church or anybody, just, the, just my pals around the world. I have some good friends. Some of you make better friends, you'll do better in life. That's, that's worth an amen right there. Yeah, I, I need to get some better friends. That's a fact. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, He that walks with wise men shall be wise but a companion of fools is going to be destroyed. Start walking with generous people. Well, let me say this too. <laughs> a, a businessman saw that. He wasn't a member of this church, and he called me to his office downtown. Many of you know me personally, heard me tell the story. And he said, Rick, I want to get you out of that girly car. His exact words. I thought, that's a good car. What do you mean a girly car? That's a fine car. I'm thrilled to have that car. He said, now I want to get you, I want to give you the same brand, but a bigger model. Uh, I want to upgrade you. Paid for, brand new. He says, it's in the back. Come back here and look at it. Now I got two sports cars. And he says, I said, do you want the other one? He said, no, I'll give it to your wife. Well, Cindy didn't want it. She wouldn't drive it. She never liked it anyway. <laughs> and I thought, what am I going to do with two sports cars? So I took, it, I took the one the boys gave me down to the dealer, sold it, brought the check, gave it to the church. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless my church. I'm going to bless the house of God. I could have kept it. I could have put the money in my pocket. I didn't even get a tax credit for it or a tithe credit for it. I just gave it. I'm trying to show you little things, but learning how to do that, how to, um, how to express that generosity. Cindy and I by hanging out with Casey in those early days and watching it modeled, I got ideas too. So I started catching on to that. I thought, I can do that. I got behind a little girl, a little teenage girl, trying to buy Subway sandwiches. And I was in the line to get me a Subway sandwich. 
and it was a big line, and I was, I was next, and she was at the cashier. She had three little sandwiches and a, a, and a drink, and she kept opening her wallet, and she had more credit cards than an adult. And she kept trying credit cards because girls think if it's plastic, it's money. It must be money. And none of the credit cards cleared. And it was embarrassing. And, and she said, I guess I'll just, to the cashier, I guess I'll just have to leave it. And I thought, I can do something about that. I said, holy cow, eight, 12 bucks, whatever it is. I just stepped right up and said, hey, I got it. Put it on my bill. Let, let her go. She, oh, sir, I don't, you don't need to do that. La, la, la. I know I don't need to do it, but I'm thinking that could be my daughter. I don't want somebody to stumble over eight bucks or 12 bucks. Be generous. Just take care of it. And, and praise God. What you make happen for somebody else, God will make happen for you. I said, maybe somebody will bless my kids somewhere in a tight. Little, little things. Then Cindy and I were at Aldino's having dinner. This is a couple of years ago. And a couple walks in. He had on a new tux. Didn't even have the, the, the labels and stuff taken off of it. This, the, so I knew he's new to this game. He didn't know what he's doing. And the girl had on a bridal dress, white. And they're alone, and they're coming into the restaurant. So I knew a couple of things. Number one, they got no family. This must have been a private affair. Number two, they got, nobody, they got no reception dinner to provide for them. And this is big time for this couple that's probably poor. And this is a big outing to come to the restaurant and dressed all up in marriage. And I thought, what? I wonder if I could do something. And I called Farrah. I said, Farrah, give me their bill. I can give them a wedding gift. And then afterwards, I'd like to meet them and bless them. And they were the sweetest young couple. And it was obvious they were out of their league and didn't have much going. But I could make a little difference. So can you. It goes on all the time. Be thinking about that. Devise generous ways. And the better you do in life, the more you can do in life. But you start somewhere. How about a Subway sandwich? Can't you start there? Can't you, can't you do something? that you don't get paid for? And number three, start on something small. Maybe decide to live a little less extravagant. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 4 says, For him that is joined to the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Boy, is that true? Some people look like they're blessed, but they're not blessed. Their money's all spoken of before their money comes in. If God told them to give 20 bucks, they wouldn't have $20 to give. They're up to their necks in debt. It looks impressive, but they can't be generous. That's a dead lion. Your car payment could be a dead lion. Your house payment could be a dead lion. It looks good, but it's a dead lion. A small Kia paid for is better than a Mercedes you can't afford. If it's eating up all your money, you got a dead lion, and it's keeping you from being a generous person. Better a living dog, God said, than a dead lion. Drop that standard of living a little bit. The generous man will prosper. See, prosperity isn't what you have. It's what you have left after you pay your bills. The generous man will prosper. Prosperity is not he with the most toys wins. God says, no, no, no. It is the generous man who will prosper. That statement is countercultural to the world in which we live. The world which we live wants to prosper, but they don't see the means to prosperity as generosity. 
because generosity means I give and share from what I have. And the culture thinks, the world thinks, they'll have less. But God said the generous man will prosper. See, prosperity is across your whole life, not just your bank account. How about your family? How about your marriage? Is it prospering? Are your kids doing well? That's prosperity. How about the words that come out of your mouth? Are they generous words? Are you an encourager? Are you uplifting? Are you positive? Are there words of prosperity? See, in spite of inflation, I'm absolutely certain God can bless me. It doesn't matter whether Biden or Trump or any new person becomes president. He cannot stop what God promises me. If God says, I will bless you, if you are a generous man, I will make you prosper, nobody can stop that. Your race can't stop it. Your background, your broke family can't stop that. See, I am confident God can bless me. My soul and my spirit, which are part of me and you, are prospering. The way you think, is it prosperous? How about 3 John 1, 2? Beloved, I wish above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prosper. Is your soul prospering? God says that before, before any prosperity preacher said it, God said it. Prosperity and health is directly connected to your soul. How well is your soul doing? Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind. As a man thinks, Proverbs says, so is he. If I interviewed and went around this auditorium, I could tell who raised you, what background you came from, what friends you hang out with, because they've shaped the way you think. That means, parents, you can shape the thinking of your children to think generously, to think big. How do you think? Well, I could never see me doing that. Well, you know, Ricky, money doesn't grow on trees. I could never afford that. We could never build that. I could never become that. Are you hearing this garbage? Some of you know, that sounds like my home. That's horrible. That's poverty. That's not what God promises you as a believer. That's not his intention. Why would God say God delights in the prosperity of his servant if he wants you broke? How many parents are really overjoyed when your kids do well? Shoot, yeah. You think God's a father is any less displeased? He wants his children to do well. He's given us principles and promises to do well. You can do better. Your life does not have to stop where you are. You can change. And if you start changing the way you think, I remember my grandparents who, who raised me during high school. Ricky, shut the door. Don't let the heat out. Cut the lights off. I remember it. they came out of the Depression. And they were well off, but they still had that poverty thinking. When Cindy and I got our first home, first home, I opened the double doors, cut all three heat pumps on, turned every light on in the house, and just stood there. It, I wasn't going to be wasteful, relax. It was, a, it was a, an assault against poverty thinking that I'm not going to live with a scarcity mindset when everything is available to a believer. Yeah, and I did shut the door and cut the heat down and cut the lights off. 
Sadly, though, both my daughters and my wife, my lovely wife sitting over here, will not cut a light off in the house. I, I tell you, if I had one irritating thought, is going through that house and nobody's there and the lights are still on. I look at it like an artery just bleeding, just bleeding blood. CPS is just smiling, and that meter is rolling, and CPS is glowing with joy. Keep it going. I can't get them. They're married. I can't even get them to cut the lights off. They got such a generous spirit. And I think, oh, God, save me. Help me. If I go up down the hallway in our church office and nobody's there and the lights are burning, and I'm thinking, shut it off. And I go like a daddy in a house cutting the light switches off going down the hall. I want to be a good steward, right? But I don't have a poverty mindset. So he says, Beloved, I wish above all that you might prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. How do you think? I couldn't do that. Remember, Abraham is taken out by God. God says, look at the seashore. Look up at the stars. And God said, all the land you can see, I'll give it to you. If you can't see it, you can't have it. How big do you see? Why can't you drive at least a paid-for or decent car? to get you to work. Not a Lamborghini, but a, but a good automobile. Why couldn't you have ownership of a small home to start with? Why not? You're as good as any drug dealer. You're as good as anybody else. Sure, you can. But if you come out of a small thinking, well, you know, honey, we can't afford that. Well, we don't make much or something. You never will. You know, I remember having a Volkswagen yell, I'm taking a few more extra minutes here, so just relax, okay? with 200,000 miles on it. And I remember driving that thing thinking, I won't always be in this Volkswagen. I, I, that was my thinking. And I'd stop and look at new cars, and in those days, walk in, sit in it, smell that leather, take a look at it, knew everything about it, because I thought, one day, you're going home with me. One day. Not now, but one day you'll go home with me. I couldn't afford the hubcap at that time. But I had a dream, and I knew what God said, and I knew that where I'm born and the situation I'm in would not be permanent. And I remember living in a trailer, a 45 wide, with roaches as big as skateboards that come out at 11 or 12 o'clock at night. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I remember thinking, I won't always live in this dump. One day I'll have a house. And I remember driving through nice neighborhoods, and I said, beautiful landscaping. I'd like to have that. Or a fence and a gate. I said, oh, that's pretty. I'd like to have that. Dream. Dream big. If I could go back and be 18. Oh, Ricky, you didn't dream big enough. Dream big. I'm telling you, some of you have come around small people, small relatives, small family, small background, small culture, and you have become a pygmy. God says, you can kill a giant. Stop living like a grasshopper. Do what I tell you to do, and you can have more. I saw the carousel that we have out here on television news one night before supper. And I thought when I saw it, it was for sale because they were closing the mall, Central Park Mall. We could use that for our children and for activities in the future. But we didn't have a budget and we didn't have a place to put it. But I said, if you don't get it, it'll be gone forever. I had two or three people say, well, I think it's a waste of money. But we bought it. And we're the only church in America with one. And I'm believing to pay off our mortgage before I leave planet Earth. I got big dreams. We never back down with Y2K or inflation or the alignment of the planets or COVID or, or any other disease or anything that might come in the future. 
Why? Because we're blessed to be a blessing. What a great motivation. Give God a reason to want to bless you. Abraham, I'm going to bless your socks off, and you will be a blessing to nations. Can you do that? Not if you're not a generous person. See, Scripture says we're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. If your soul isn't prospering, you're thinking poverty all the time, lack, shortage, not me. Oh, God won't use me. And you're doing this all your life. You're going to be under all your life. You're going to be the tail and never the head. See, the generous man will prosper. It is the will of God for you to do well. Poverty is a curse. You don't think so? Well, then come, let me lay hands on you and bless you with poverty. Let's see how big the altar gets. Oh, Lord, bless them. Take away everything they got. Let there be no food. Nobody would. That's just political nonsense. God wants you to do well, sensible, reasonable, reasonable. No manipulation, no nonsense, just clear scripture. So we capture that revelation. Now, look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. You might not want to read this one. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day, and you carefully follow them, means do them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. That sound pretty good to you? Put that on your refrigerator. Put that on your car. Speak that over your family and life every day because you're speaking not just words out of a dictionary. You're speaking living words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's why God told Joshua in just a minute, don't let my word depart from your mouth. You say what I say, not what you heard from somebody. Not what the government says, not what your aunt or mom and dad say, not what your peer group says, what I say. Joshua 1, verse 3 through 8, I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river Euphrates and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So be strong and very courageous and be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will be successful. You do it, God says. I'm not going to send an angel to do it. If you'll do what I said, I guarantee you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. I was with Tony Warren several years ago showing me the kind of a family he came from and how poverty worked through the whole family line and all of the relatives, and he decided, I will never live this way. He started obeying God with his giving and his tithe and his proverbs, started a small business, started making a profit. Over and over, he pulled himself out into home ownership, into a business ownership, and enjoys an abundant lifestyle now while all the relatives were critical of him. Don't you think you're somebody? Don't you think you're better? And he said, all I did was do what God said 
to be ambitious to get out of this mess of poverty, and then you get criticized for getting out of it. I'm going to tell you something. Get criticized, but get out of it. You can get out of it. You can change your future. You do not have to die where you're born. You don't have to stay in the situation you found yourself in. You do it. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse 25, a generous man will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed himself. Now, that's not you scratch my back and I'll scratch you back. Remember the woman at the well in John 4? Jesus is worn out, completely exhausted, tired and thirsty. So he just can't go on and he sits down at the well. He sends the disciples into town for some food. And Jesus asked the woman at the well for a drink. She interviews him. She said, look, I'm a woman and a Samaritan, and you're a Jewish man. You're a Republican, and I'm a Democrat. Whatever you want to put in there. And you're talking to me? Then Jesus says, go get your husband, honey. She can't. And Jesus said, yeah, you answered right. You've had five husbands, and you're living with a guy who isn't your husband. Well, she runs into town and spreads the word. Come see a man who told me everything about myself. Is this not the Messiah? And she brings out the whole town to Jesus. When the disciples return with food, oh, Jesus isn't hungry anymore. He said, I've got food to eat you don't know anything about. Because he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He's pumped. He's energized now. He was exhausted, not now. Even though he was tired doing the will of God, he kept doing God's will, and it refreshed him. As he refreshed her, she refreshed him. Jesus said, my strength, my sustenance comes by doing the will of God. If you're not serving, you'll never know what it is to be refreshed by heaven. Ephesians 6, 8, I quote it all the time. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Not the person you did it for. God will make it happen for you. See, God has your back. God knows where you are. And as you refresh others, he's promised to refresh you, just like Jesus. Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. When you refresh others, when you're kind to the poor, God sees and says, Hey, I owe you. I'll indebt myself to you. You've refreshed others, count on it. I will refresh you. And let me pause to say this. Chosen is coming up in two weeks. We need 15 more men to make this happen. 15 more guys who will help refresh others. And we have the need for sponsorships. That is, if some of the women that come and get life transformation can't pay the bill. So some of the generous people in here will above their giving buy a sponsorship for a woman so that those less fortunate can come, hear the good news, and have their life transformed. Many getting saved and coming to Jesus, others being encouraged. And we've had testimony every year from people who were transformed because somebody out of generosity paid their, paid their sponsorship. Didn't hurt them a bit. But while they're refreshing others, God says, don't you worry, I'll refresh you too. See? Again, he who refreshes others, himself will be refreshed. But we live in a culture that wants more money, less hours, more time off, more handouts, more, more, more. 
God says, now here's the attitude. If you will refresh others, I will refresh you. One more, Genesis 24, Abraham sends his senior servant, Eliezer, to find a wife for his son, Isaac. So Genesis 24, beginning in verse 12, the servant prayed, Lord God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today. Show kindness to my master, Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this well, and the daughters of the town are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels also, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Well, before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. He went down to the well. Uh, she went down to the well, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. Right after that, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. By the way, there's 10 of them, and they hold 40 gallons, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back and forth to the well to draw more and more water and drew enough for all of his camels to be satisfied. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Can I tell you again, he who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. Little did this young girl have any idea this extra effort of refreshing someone else, not having to do so, would bring her into the richest family on earth and put her in the seed line of Messiah. One act of refreshing others. Amazing. Who are you refreshing? Now, finally, the last story. What about Ruth, Naomi, and a wealthy guy named Boaz? Ruth and Naomi had fallen on hard economic times. Ruth, she's a Moabite. They're living in Moab. She had lost her husband. Naomi, her mother-in-law, had lost her husband. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than this, being a woman in that day as well. And Naomi tries to get Ruth to go back to Moab with her people. She's going on to Israel. But Ruth refuses to leave Naomi. So they go back to Israel and face utter poverty. Ruth takes care of Naomi by picking up scrap grain left in the field. So she is now feeding herself and Naomi. And Boaz sees Ruth working hard to refresh Naomi and herself. He watched her willingness to work and work hard. See, God's faithfulness underlies human productivity, but people have to do the work. That was God's intent from the beginning. Adam had work to do a job before he fell. Work is not a curse. Girls don't marry a guy until he gets a job. Adam didn't get a wife till he had a job. Paul wrote this in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. If a man won't work, he should not eat. Hmm. You got a grown son living in your house and he won't work? Put him out. 
unless you're better than God. I'm not talking about someone handicapped. I'm not talking about someone afflicted or injured. We're talking about the community of the body of Christ. And God says, we are not responsible to take care of people who could work but won't work. And if you're married to a man who won't work and you have to support him, leave him. Find you a Boaz. Find you somebody who can provide for you. A man does not have responsibility over a woman or anything else unless you accept responsibility. You only have authority where you have responsibility. But if you reject responsibility, then your authority is gone. That's why the CPS can take your child. If you won't feed them, clothe them, shelter them, take care of them, but you abuse them and neglect them, they have a right to take it away, the child away because you have forfeited authority because you, you, you disobeyed uh, responsibility. If you're not responsible, you have no authority. Where you have responsibility, you have authority. Does that make sense? Now, this is not any government administration saying this. This is God Almighty saying, if you don't work, you don't eat. And here's Ruth picking up leftover. Well, I don't, that job doesn't pay enough. You get your bottom down there and take it. And then you keep working. And you work until you get a promotion. You work until you get a better job. But you start somewhere. You don't wait till you get a hundred grand a year and a new car and a free bonus and a hundred thousand a year. You'll be waiting the rest of your life, but you start where you are. Where's the daddies around here? Did I get an amen? Are you kidding me? How about a little support up here? I'm strong about this. And there she is picking up leftovers. This isn't minimum wage. It's leftovers. So Ruth is eager to work hard to support herself and Naomi. She said, let me go to the field. She implored them. And when she was given a chance to work, her co-workers reported to Boaz she had been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting for a moment. That's in Ruth 2, verse 7. What would your co-workers say about your work effort? Scripture says her work was exceptionally productive. When she came home after her first day at work, she beat out the barley she had collected from the stalks and her harvest yielded a full ephod of grain. That amounted to approximately five gallons of barley. Both God and Boaz commended and rewarded her for her faith and industry. Ruth was refreshing her mother-in-law, and little did this little Moabite outcast from Israel, little did she know the field she was working in belonged to Boaz, a wealthy landowner, who was kinsman redeemer to Naomi, her mother-in-law, who ends up marrying her, taking care of her mother-in-law, Naomi, as well. See, if you, want, if you want to wait for your Boaz, I want to suggest that you put some qualifications on it. You wait for your Boaz because he's got some really lousy relatives. Take a look at the screen and you'll see a few of them. You say, I got some people like that in my family. Maybe you married one. Good for nothing as. So, wait on the right Boaz. Work diligently. Believe God will find you and bless you. The generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 
So like Rebecca, what are you watering? Just you? Are you watering eternal things? Are you watering your marriage, your spouse, your kids? Are you giving them your time and attention? Are you watering God's house? We need 15 men. How simple is that to be here for a Saturday and a Sunday? Friday night and Saturday. You could do one of them. How hard is that? How about a good, a Boaz that works, that labors, that sows? You're refreshing others. You're giving up a sacrifice. God says, I'll refresh you as you refresh others. You sponsor others, I'll refresh you. What you make happen for others, I'll make happen for you. We shouldn't have to pull teeth. This is the biggest thing we have all year, one of the biggest things. For our women, there'd be over 1,500 women in here changing lives. They come from every different kind of a place and situation. I want to be sure I'm watering my family. I want to be watering uh, my marriage. I want to be watering my God's house. I'm thinking about that all the time. I want to water my relationships, those I'm closest to. What can I do for them occasionally? How can I help them or serve them in some way? Some way that doesn't kill me, but I'm able to do something refreshing for them. I remember when I had that shoulder surgery, the only time I had anything wrong with me, and I had to stay home, had a reaction to the drug they gave me to do the surgery, and I'm shaking, I can't sleep, I can't stand still, and I certainly couldn't, couldn't come. Casey heard about it from one of the family members or somebody. He flew down here and preached the whole weekend. He refused his airfare. He refused his honorarium. We couldn't make him take anything. He wanted to refresh a great relationship that we've had for nearly 40 years. Can you do that? Would you be open to that in your great relationships? Would you go to the mat? We've got a few people in here who have been to the mat for other people. I've had some do something for me as well, and I couldn't be any more grateful. Water your relationships. Put something into it. It isn't going to just happen. We want others to refresh us, but most don't understand the key to being refreshed is first to become a refresher to someone else. What are you watering? Who are you watering? The grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. And God can find you wherever you are, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever race you're from, whatever home you're from, no matter where you are. God makes a promise. The generous man will prosper. And he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.